Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Manifest Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Alfonso McCree Jr. That's A-L-P-H-O-N-S-O-M-C-C-R-E-E Jr. And you might be wondering why I'm so fired up. Well, one, it's because you can bet on me. And two, it's because we have a very special guest on the Manifest Wrestling Podcast today. And I have a very creative not so creative, but a very lengthy way of introducing this guest here today. He's coming after this first window of content, but pro wrestling. The glue of pro wrestling has always been the commentary. Think about your favorite moments in the history of wrestling. Think about Stone Cold Steve Austin returning at Backlash 2001 to save The Rock. Think about all of Triple H's dastardly deeds that he's committed, including him aligning himself with Stephanie McMahon. Think about Yeslemania. Think about the streak ending. All of these moments, all of these moments came with great commentary. The Undertaker throwing mankind off the top of the hell in a cell. John Cena returning at the Royal Rumble in 2008. 2008. Returning from injury at the Royal Rumble at number 30. Think about the commentary behind all of those. Commentary is a staple of our industry. When I created this podcast, I told you guys. Yes, this is a podcast for aspiring professional wrestlers, but I also told you it's for everybody who wants to be in front of the camera and behind the camera. In production, at the commentary table. Everything that we do here at Manifest Wrestling is one, to celebrate wrestling, and two, to help those who want to succeed in the business succeed in the business. And what better way to do that than to bring on people who are succeeding in the business right now. And the person that we're bringing on here today is the voice of Impact Wrestling, Mr. Tom Hannafin, formerly known in WWE as Tom Phillips. He is going to provide some great insight on what it is to be a wrestling broadcaster versus a regular broadcaster, everything that it takes to get into it, the challenges, the advice, and everything in between. Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be an amazing interview, and I can't wait for you guys to watch it. So, with that being said, we're going to our second window right now. All right, believe, don't kill me, but we're doing the mid-roll very, very early today. Very early. We're not waiting for 15 or 20 minutes. We're doing it now because we're going to get to this interview. Manifest Wrestling, Tom Hannafin, coming up right after this break. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Manifest Wrestling Podcast. My guest is officially here, Mr. Tom Hannafin, formerly known as Tom Phillips. He is the voice of Impact Wrestling, but that's not all he does, and that's not all he has done, okay? He is also a fellow Believe Network podcast host. Penn State Football, State of State, a Penn State football show. He is the host of that on Believe Network. Proud Penn State University alumni. Maybe he'll 
make me into a fan eventually. We'll see. Former play-by-play commentator for World Wrestling Entertainment on NXT, Raw, SmackDown, 205 Live, and NXT UK, one of my favorite brands and one of the most underrated brands in wrestling history, in my opinion. And Tom, you just called Impact 1000. Please, let's start with that. How was that experience for you? Emotional, really emotional. It was uh, it was really cool to be a part of that. I, you know, I've had the chance to be a part of some of those milestone-esque broadcasts in the way of Impact and then WWE before that. So you understand the importance of those nights. And there's a lot of things that you have to bring forward as a commentator and you have to try to give context to who some of these people are in terms of past, present. Uh, giving that context is so important to the significance of uh, a moment, a championship, a match, people involved. There's a lot of layers that go into it. But it's one thing that's been really fun about my time in Impact is that there's a lot of these moments that because I was in WWE, you know, I wasn't living. I was living a different world at that point, different wrestling universe, so to speak. And I've learned so much through the people in Impact so that almost by osmosis, I felt the way they feel about all these moments and these people, et cetera, et cetera. So my job is to try and bring that emotion forward. And I'm a very sentimental, uh, emotional guy. I cry at everything. So to have (laughs) a a night like Impact 1000, where granted, there were some familiar faces getting to see Devon again was really, really special. But to just try and put all these things into context, it's a challenge. It's a responsibility and I welcome it. And I loved every last moment for it. And especially uh, the way our knockouts were showcased, just to, to make that statement in regard to how important the knockouts division in Impact Wrestling is to the greater story of women's wrestling and the history of the business was very important to me. And uh, I just hope I get to be a part of more moments like that. Absolutely. You know, just a side note on the knockouts division, I remember when WWE's women's division wasn't released, it still wasn't taking off or being taken seriously. I remember tuning into TNA back in the day and seeing the knockouts division and seeing how much TV time they got. And I thought, man, this, this is different. You know, I wasn't used to seeing that much women's wrestling on television. So impact was definitely ahead of its time there. But again, you just called impact 1000, but you don't get there overnight. So I want to go way back to the start of your journey. And I want to talk about your beginning at Penn State and how you ended up getting WWE's attention in the first place. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So, you know, I went to Penn State for broadcast journalism, specifically focusing on sports broadcasting. And when I graduated in 2011, you know, like anybody, I'm, I'm looking for a job in sports broadcasting. And I was putting my name out there to as many different places as I could. I was calling men's and women's basketball and football for a Division three college uh, in central Pennsylvania. So I was, you know, getting my experience there, but you're making 50 bucks a game. So it's not really necessarily something that uh, can sustain you. So I was constantly looking for other jobs, applying for other jobs. And I've told the story before, but there is a, there is a website still to this day, uh, staatalent.com highly recommended for anybody trying to get into the sports broadcasting world in front of and behind the camera for for job leads it's very very helpful and at the time i think it was april of 2012 maybe shortly before that 
Uh, they sent out a job lead. WWE was looking for on-air talent and don't send in conventional play-by-play. Uh, you have to send in, you know, a video submission. That's something completely different. So that's a real challenge when most of my experience at that point was doing play-by-play and a lot of radio play-by-play, a lot of radio talk shows, a handful of, you know, man on the street, a studio stand-up work, et cetera. So I was like, how do I pitch this? So I basically uh, convinced a buddy of mine to go out to a place called the Arboretum at Penn State. And we shot essentially a a two-minute pitch where it's just me, you know, in in the wrestling world, cutting a promo. And I was kind of going off of the way that I saw, you know, WWE commentary at the time. And it was more, you know, a commentary on how the announcers were utilized in storyline, nothing against any of them personally or what they were capable of. But I think that was during Michael Cole's heel run or shortly thereafter, (laughs) the dates escaped me. And I was like, yeah, these guys are, you know, this is obviously a bad guy. And I was like, I'd like to be a good guy or something like that. I like at the end of the day, I'm like, I just like to call wrestling for you guys. That'd be awesome. And I said it before is that I had never, I never had any intention of working in professional wrestling. I had watched WWE and WCW sparingly as a kid. Um, I had watched TNA a little bit. And then I went to high school and I went to college and I got sidetracked with my studies and chasing girls and football and all those fun things that I was working on. And, uh, you know, when it came around, I, my college roommate was like, you know, you should apply for this. You'll screw up. It'll be funny. Maybe you'll meet John Cena. And so I sent in a submission. I sent in the video that I mentioned, which I hope I never see the light of day again. And, uh, sure enough, they, they gave me an audition in, in June of 2012. And oddly enough, I did that audition with Josh Matthews, who I worked with briefly in WWE, and he is now my executive producer uh, in Impact Wrestling and did commentary with Impact for a long time, obviously. So it's just funny how it's a small world and everything comes back around. And that was June of 2012, and I hounded them for the summer because it, it's WWE. It was a huge opportunity and was trying to get an opportunity, uh, wanted the wanted the chance to do something uh, with a billion dollar company. Of course I would. And in September of 2012, I just moved into a new apartment in state college, Pennsylvania. I was still working there. And I think I'd been in the apartment maybe a week and I got an email of, Hey, do you want to start with WWE, you know, later this month? And I was like, Oh my God. So, you know, jumped at that, turned my life upside down, got out of the apartment, et cetera. And that was, uh, I was 23 when I got hired. Uh, I didn't know, I, I didn't know anything about what I was getting into. I really didn't. You know, I had a vague idea of wrestling, but the thing I think that was potentially attractive about me to WWE is that I didn't and that I was young and I had some, you know, skills out of college that were rudimentary and they could teach me and they could show me some things and kind of mold me the way they saw fit. And I'm very fortunate. I got to spend about nine years with WWE. You know, you talked about it in the open there. Also got to call a main event and superstars and four WrestleManias, four Royal Rumbles, Summer Slams, a Survivor Series, NXT Takeovers, a plenty, like you name it, I got to do it in nine years. So I have no complaints over that time. And the skill set that I was given, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Like there's times I look back on what I was able to learn and what I was taught, and I'm just so grateful for what I was given. And now getting to apply it to Impact Wrestling, and rolling into things like Bound for Glory, like we have on October 21st, biggest pay-per-view of the year. I can take all this education I've gotten in pro wrestling and just broadcasting as a whole and apply it to Impact now. And it's just been so much fun here at Impact. 
know, when you talk about how they molded you and everything like that, like, obviously, WWE has a specific commentary style that they like expect from their broadcasters and everything. For you personally, when you thought about the people who came before you, did you feel pressure to live up to like the expectations of a Michael Cole, of a Jim Ross, people like that? Oh my God, yes, because at the time I was working with both of them. Uh, for a very brief amount of time, I was working with Jim Ross and Michael Cole in NXT. And I believe a, a broadcaster named Tony Dawson in WWE, Tony Luffman, uh, you know, outside of that, that's his real name. Uh, he and I were brought in at the same time and Cole was working with Tony and, and JR was working with me a little bit. And then uh, Tony got elevated to the main roster to work with, uh, you know, work on main event or superstars, whatever it was called at the time. And shortly thereafter, JR was out of the company. So I was working with Cole pretty exclusively. And yeah, like that's a, that, those are the two biggest play-by-play -play names in the history of the company, in my opinion. So you're like, okay, you know, no pressure. Don't, don't mess up. And I messed up a lot. So that was what NXT at that time was for is it's it was a developmental it was a training ground and it's still that to this day but now it's amplified it's live on USA so it's just grown by leaps and bounds but anyway yeah I, I immediately got thrown into the fire there and like I said before I really just didn't fully comprehend what I was diving into and I needed some tough love I needed a lot of tough love to be honest and I got that from Michael Cole from uh, John Bradshaw Layfield from Corey Graves, who he and I were coming up at the same time, and he was trying to reinvent himself altogether as a broadcaster, you know, had been wrestling medically unable to continue, not medically clear to continue, at least. And um, it just, it, it, it was just such a good opportunity for me altogether. And I got to learn from some brilliant people. Um, William Regal, I worked with him closely on commentary, and just he pointed out a lot of things here and there along the way that I'm like, man, I just grateful for um matt bloom somebody that looked out for me from day one he has about a thousand names in wrestling so google him but he's now the <laughs> he's now a train uh, yeah, I, I try not to bring up sweet tea or tensai around here but like a train <laughs> i was a big a train mark once upon a time i loved a train so that survivor series team lesnar versus team angle i was all about that that heel team i love look it. we we could go we honestly i could talk to you probably for hours about that pay-per-view exclusively from oh start yeah to no finish. it was fun that but is it, one of the greatest ever. To to put into perspective, you know, what you think you know versus, you know, what's real. I was a fan of that, you know, that storyline, for instance. And I'm trying to remember the entirety of Team Lesnar. It was Lesnar, uh, A-Train, Matt uh, Morgan, yeah. Nathan Jones. And yeah. I think they recruited Cena, but Cena joined Team Angle. So, like, who's the fifth? I like, forgot who the fifth show. one was. Big show. Was it the big show? Yeah, yeah, because the big, big show. show was the last one eliminated. That's right. Big show. So I am, you know, a kid watching this. Is that 2003? I want to say 2003. 2003. So I am, you know, I'm a teenager. Okay, I'm not a kid, but yeah, I'm still a kid. You're uh, a kid. That's I'm, fine. I'm a teenager <laughs> at that point in time. And I was just like, wow, the sheer size of this team. This is incredible. And then you actually get into the business and you learn. The, the interpersonal workings of how everybody worked together, how difficult it is to put together a match like that. You got 10 freaking guys plus players on the outside, like Heyman involved, et cetera, et cetera. So I just got this brilliant education early on, but yeah, like the, I, I got asked at a very you know early point in my time in WWE. It's like, did you come here for this chair? Meaning the lead play-by-play -play chair in all of the company in terms of working to that. 
It was never going to get handed to me, but working towards that. And that was always my goal. So to have people like that looming large over my career, uh, I wouldn't have had it any other way. It was perfect. And I, I think about, you know, when you peel back the veil, like I've been able to do that a lot recently because now I'm in this world of pro wrestling and I'm meeting people all the time. And like, I'm actually getting to know them as human beings and stuff. And I'm picking their brain too. And, uh, you know, I'm talking to Devon about stuff like, Hey, what was, what was the, the best moment? Like the best crowd reaction you ever got and he's telling me and everything. And I'm really seeing like the human aspect behind the superheroes that we see on television. Um, like when you got into that chair, in 2012 to when you eventually left in 2021 how many leaps and bounds did you feel like you had taken obviously like you got better but I mean really like from where you were when you started to where you were when you finished how far did you feel like you had come compared to you know the expectations that you had from those humans that you finally met like Jim Ross Michael Cole and all of them how, how far did you feel like you got night and day there's there's commentary of mine from 2012 to like 2018 that I hate. I just hate. And I'll listen back to stuff even 2019 to 2021 when I was laid off. I'm like, mm, yeah, I'm like, it's good, but like it's getting there. I didn't I didn't really feel comfortable until raw in 2020 when i got put on that of, uh, as of the royal rumble in 2020 and then the night after i didn't feel like i had a control of the broadcast or a control of the desk and my team until i did that show and it's not to say hey this is my show you know whatever that that's that's not the way to go and i learned that lesson the hard way is that you know hey i control this desk and i have the respect of the guys i'm working with i have uh, you know, faith from the production team at this point, after years of putting in work to get this done, faith, hopefully from Vince and the creative team. So it just takes time. I got told immediately when I walked in the door from Kevin Dunn and Michael Cole, it's going to take you 10 years to get good at this, to feel comfortable. So I finally like was feeling comfortable around 2020. Of course, pandemic hit, everything changed. And then everything really changed. I was out of the company. So it's just, um, it's the thing about wrestling is that you think you're prepared for something and there's going to be opportunities that come up that you're just not ready for. You just could never have anticipated. And that's the beauty of it is you get thrown into the fire. So, but I felt like I've learned an immense amount because I came in just not really understanding the business, understanding it from a lay fans perspective. And also I had to get an education on broadcasting period. All I had was a college education and that, Yes, Penn State gave me the tools, but I had never put them into practice. And people like Renee Paquette and Michael Cole really giving me an education of like, no, this is how you be a broadcaster. And then this is how you be a WWE announcer. Those are two very different things. So those people were instrumental in my growth altogether. But yeah, I mean, I, I listen back to some of the stuff back then. I'm like, my, my voice sounded terrible. I, you know, I had a buzz cut and no beard. I looked like I was 12. You know, there's all these things about psychology that I was missing. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from Terry Taylor. And it was so simple. Baby faces want to compete. Heels want to win. Easiest thing in the world. Easiest thing in the world to take that and then be like, okay, now call the match accordingly in terms of protect the baby face, demonize the heel, 
you know, all the different aspects of the match and tell me a story from start to finish. That, that's interesting. Can can you break that down for us a little bit? Uh, like, it, it, what, I mean, what, wrestling can difference? be really wrestling can be really easy at the end of the day when you think about it. It's extraordinarily complicated. I, I always compare it to you know constellations. You look up in the sky and you think you can see the North Star. And you're like, oh, there it is. And then for a second, something pops up and you're like, oh, and you're like, wait, where's the North Star? And you kind of piece everything together as you go. Now, I forget when I had this conversation with Terry Taylor, uh, the old Red Rooster down in, uh, in NXT, and he's been a coach there for a long time. Very helpful to me. He, he taught me, he was like, listen, you know, the, the root of any baby face is, yes, they're doing things that are noble and the quote unquote right thing to do. But he was like, a, a baby face wants to compete. They want to they wanna fight by the rules. You know, it's like any athlete, really. It's like, hey, here are the defined rules for the way that we're playing this game, this sport. And when somebody breaks those rules or bends those rules or cheats, naturally, justifiably, you would get upset if you were a participant in said game or sport. So I then have to convey that the baby face is listening to the referee's five count on. It's like, hey, you know, he won't grab the hair and he won't try and pull the tights on a finish or something like that. All these little aspects. Um, I've heard um, Dax Harwood of FTR talk about it. He's that every match is a gimmick match because the rules of any match are the gimmick that you're enforcing. So it's very important for me as a play-by-play announcer, and then it's extremely important for referees involved in wrestling to enforce those rules because otherwise, how does a heel become a heel outside of doing dastardly things to people that you like? Those are important, but they're within the confines of the wrestling match. What are the things that they're doing that are not great, that are not admirable, that are not noble? And what are the things that the babyface is doing that, you know, it's like, hey, I, I, I don't want to win this by count out or disqualification, for instance. You see this quite a bit. And you want to, you see a baby face roll a heel back into the ring. It's like, no, I want to pin you or submit you because then it's, I truly defeated you. I beat you within the constructs of the rules and I'm the better person in this fight, right? Heels are content to take a count out and heels are content to get disqualified if they don't want a part of a matchup because they're a champion. They're like, this isn't a title match, et cetera. I don't care. There's so many layers to it, but the, the easiest way that I was educated on how to, call wrestling was that one phrase and then standing out from there and you mentioned too earlier i wanted to ask you about the you you were spitting out so much great information that i didn't want to stop you but you mentioned uh renee paquette and michael cole told you there's a difference between being a wwe broadcaster and a television broadcaster what did they mean by that um i think that when you see what I do on camera versus a lot of other people in televised professional wrestling, I bring a presence of being a polished broadcaster, period, regardless of the medium that I am working in. And that is because of an education I got from Michael Cole, from Renee Paquette, help from Kevin Dunn, the entire production department in WWE, so on and so forth, and a variety of other opportunities I've had since then. NBC Sports Philadelphia, ESPN Radio, I've just had chances to apply my craft in in that way so that's the big difference is that you know i present in that way and i think that's something that some wrestling fans maybe don't love about my style is that i'm trying to look like somebody who fits in on an espn a fox an nbc a cbs broadcast however i love calling this stuff so if i present as professionally as possible and i try and have credibility all the time 
one of the best things I've been told by Scott Demore is like, keep in the back of your mind, what would Mike Tanay do? And I take that, that, that piece of advice means everything to me. I think about that every single time we're doing a show, uh, I'm doing some sort of backstage interview, anything. I keep that in the back of my mind. So it's a combination of how do you present? What's your delivery like? Um, when you speak, you know, is, are you believable? Do you sound like you're confident in what you're saying? Because there's a lot of people in wrestling who, you know, as a commentator, you might say something and think you feel it, but does it sound like you feel it? It's a very different thing. Essentially, what we're doing is voice acting because we know there's a story being told that isn't, you know, the real thing. And it's great when the real thing comes into play because then it's an organic reaction. But when I'm telling you a story about, I don't know, you know, name a name a storyline that has happened in wrestling in the last handful of years I've gotten to be a part of. Most of them are, are manufactured by the creative team and involved. That's how wrestling works. So then I have to make you think that I believe every last thing that's going on. I have the information correct. And then when I'm damning the heel and glorifying the baby face, that that information is correct and that I feel that stuff as opposed to just being like, gee, I hope he wins as opposed to really being into the moment and feeling it the way a fan feels it. So there's the wrestling side of that. And then there's the broadcasting side of that. And I think there's a lot of people that you know, will look at wrestling commentary in one specific vein. But the truth of the matter is when you're working at the level of impact aew wwe new japan pro wrestling when you're doing these live global broadcasts is that's the standard you're being measured by and there's a huge difference between calling wrestling and calling linear live global network television those are huge worlds apart yeah fair enough and we talk about the towards the end of your wwe career when your release came in between them and in between that time, sorry, and when you were signed to Impact Wrestling, what was your focus on there? What what kind of things were you dealing with at that time? Uh, I was dealing with a, a myriad of uh, personal things. Uh, it was uh, it was a very uh, very bad time in my life. Um, not to dive into uh, too much detail. Um, in a in a two month span between April and May of 2021, my entire world got turned upside down and things had not been okay for me personally for about six months to two years prior to that. Things had not just been, just things had not been okay. And when the release from WWE came, there also came this wave of relief, but also that concern of what's next. And, you know, part of me was, not sure if I even wanted to be in wrestling anymore, just because, you know, uh, you, you just, you, you work that schedule. It's a lot. Anybody that's in WWE, you know, past, present, whatever, will tell you it's a lot. So to take the time to step away from it was very helpful. And then when the opportunity with Impact Wrestling came along, it was just, it, it just felt right to me. And it's, it's tough to explain, but, you know, I, I've told the story before in that, you know, I have great friends and Steve Macklin and Deanna Perrazzo, and uh, they helped connect me with Josh Matthews. And it just so happened they were looking to make a change at that time. Had that not happened, who knows where my career would have taken me. Um, and then it, once I got to talk with Josh and understand that, like, oh, he's executing the broadcasts 
exactly the way that I kind of expect him to, but with a, a twist, because it's obviously not going to be exactly like WWE. But he and I were immediately on the same sheet of music. And then to speak to Scott Demore and understand what he wanted and the expectation he had for me, you know, the, the standard and impact wrestling for play-by-play is Mike Tanay. No pressure. <laughs> so that's a good standard to have. That's a fantastic standard to have. So I was yeah. thrilled about that from the jump. And then when I did Hard to Kill in 2022, my, my love, my passion for calling this stuff was just reinvigorated. I, I, as soon as I got done, I went backstage. I was crying. I uh, hugged Scott. I was like, I, I told him, I said, thank you for giving me back my passion. And it just went from there. And now it's at a point where I really feel the weight of that responsibility of being the voice of Impact Wrestling because it's all I ever wanted. It's all I was ever driving towards in WWE. And that opportunity went away and that's okay. Now in Impact, to be embraced by everyone there as the voice, as the guy on play-by-play, I can't even really explain how much that means to me. It's special. But yeah, that that time period was not great for me on on a personal side. And I can say that that time is behind me and impacts a big reason why my th- my life altogether is just better. So um, tough to explain. Yeah, and I, I'm glad that you opened up even a little bit. I know as men, it's really hard for us to do that a lot of the time. So like I have an appreciation for the fact that you even maybe dipped your toe into explaining it a little bit. That was like really cool of you. Um, what I guess I, I don't need to know the personal details about what you were going through, but what I do want to know as somebody that's in your industry, as somebody who's gone through and maybe kind of now still going through a frustrating period in my career where I'm trying to get seen and trying to get noticed and trying to get the opportunities that I feel like I've been working so hard for. What kind of things did you do to like keep yourself mentally and spiritually grounded while you were going through these dark times in order to continue to press forward? Man, that's uh, something my therapist and I talk about a lot. Um, Yeah, it's but you know what? That's one. No, no, that's no, one right okay. there. You just um, mentioned it. Therapy. No, it's okay. Yeah, that, that's th- one. I, first of all, I'm a big proponent of therapy. I've been yeah. in therapy for over three years now, and I, I speak extremely highly of it. And I recommend it to anybody. Talk to somebody. Talk to the people in your life that you trust. Uh, talk to somebody, anybody. It's it's far better than uh, internalizing everything. There were uh, that was the complication is that you know I could feel things in WWE slipping out of my fingers. Uh, from December 2020 until I was released in May of 2021. I could feel things were not going my way. Um, I was abundantly aware of the auditions happening for people like Adnan Virk, Jimmy Smith, uh, Kevin Patrick, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I knew those were happening. So usually I'm like, they're not firing Michael Cole. Take take the hint. Yeah. <laughs> and um when things are not great at work and then things are not great at home there's no reprieve there's no balance there's there's no time to get up off the mat so to speak so i lived in that headspace for those last six months and i was really living in that headspace for about two years really pressing um i think i remember when the uh, the fox deal came up with with wwe being told, you know, everybody's auditioning for their, their spot, you know, not, not really their job. Like, I don't think they're necessarily threatening anybody's job, but just you're auditioning for your spot on our programming for the next 18 months. And I think that launched in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. 
So from like 2017 on, I was, I didn't take a vacation. You know, I, I, I had my honeymoon, but I took a vacation and, and like that. And I came back and I was rusty because I've been away for two weeks and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I've got to just buckle down. I've, I've, because I'm, I'm very much somebody who, if you give me a goal, I'm going to work towards it. So there's part of me in the back of my mind is like, man, I want to earn that SmackDown gig, of course. And I knew in the back of my head, it's not going to me. It's going to Michael Cole. He's the voice of the company. This is going to be the A show. But I was like, I have to, I have to push towards this. So I didn't take a break for the longest time. And then I was striving to accomplish other things within the company during that time. And I'd been given a, a smaller managerial role in terms of uh, producing and training and recruiting broadcasters. So like my, my role expanded, which I enjoyed that. I learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes, but learned a lot of things along the way. And it just got to a point where it was the breaking point for me and that I knew there were changes coming within the company in 2020 and then into 2021. Like I said, for anybody that's ever worked in the wrestling business, when things are not okay at home and things are not okay at work, things just aren't okay. And uh, I just met that breaking point in April of that year. And then uh, May, you know, when they laid me off, it was almost a, it was almost a blessing in disguise. It was a silver lining to all that stuff. And for all of it to line up to the point where I am now or in my personal life, I'm, I'm extremely happy with the decision that I made. And in my professional life, finding impact wrestling, finding a, a home, uh, and it sounds cheesy to say a family, but yeah, I feel completely embraced by everybody in impact and I wouldn't be where I am now without them. Honestly, that's all we're all looking for in our workplaces, right? Like, you know, I work at a, a editing company. We just do editing highlights for like SEC and Big 12 and American and everything. And it's it's just a family atmosphere there. And it's so hard for me to leave. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? Because like, that's really all you're looking for ever. I'm like, even if I get another job, I'm staying here and I'm finding some way to continue Any, my work here. Anybody in any family. walk of life can speak to that. Like, if you love the people you work with, you'll deal with a lot. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. Just you know, again, it doesn't matter what you do. I know there were definitely points in WWE where I'm like, man, I'm really struggling right now. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to break through those early years where I'm like, just trying to find my way through the proverbial darkness to some light. And I'm like, okay, how do, what's that? When am I going to turn the corner and understand this a little bit better? And it was thanks to the people around me that I, I just kept going and then I'd find little successes here and there. And I'd talk to this person, they'd educate me, et cetera. And it all just kind of pieces together. But it's that mentality of just keep going. Don't stop. And the people around you will support you. And like I said it for years in WWE. And I said when I uh, on social media after I got released that I had a, a dream team, the guys in production that backed me up and supported me and then i had the, the people i worked with on air that you're in that proverbial foxhole with that you develop bonds that never go away so you just you, you hold on to those things in the good times and the bad times and i'm fortunate there are a lot more good times than bad absolutely and that leads me to our final question and you just answered a lot of it but i want to see if you have anything more to add this podcast was really created to help aspiring pro wrestlers but I've taken it to the next level and I'm trying to help anybody who's aspiring to do anything in the pro wrestling business in front of the camera, behind it, in the production truck, in a managerial position, it doesn't matter. You are one of the people that I wanted to have on here as soon as Gus linked us up again. 
uh, Gus Ramsey. Shout out to Gus Ramsey at at Full Sail University. Anybody (laughs) that wants to get into uh, broadcasting, the Full Sail University broadcasting department is fantastic. And it's a lot in part due to Gus Ramsey. Absolutely. I'm a proud graduate, proud valedictorian of that program. And uh, I wouldn't be where I am today without it. And I wouldn't be talking to you today without that program either. Um, But what I just want, I want to get that real solid piece of advice, maybe something Maybe something Jim Ross would tell you about getting into commentary, getting noticed by the companies that produce the thing that we love so much, professional wrestling, and getting that opportunity to be a voice of a company. Where do we start and how do we stay grounded through the process of trying to achieve that goal? The thing I was always told by Michael Cole is that if you have energy, enthusiasm, and passion in the way that you execute a broadcast, it's going to shine through. It's going to get across to the audience. Now, you have to do your homework. You have to be prepared with all those little things, statistics, who, what, when, where, why, everything. But if you're really prepared to tell the full breadth of a story and not just call a wrestling match bell to bell, and and what I mean by that is just calling moves bell to bell, that if you talk to any wrestler, they're like, what's the story of the match? What are we doing from point A to point B that makes you as a viewer follow it and get lost in that world of disbelief? Because, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin has said it is uh, like the beauty of wrestling is that you, you want to turn your brain off for a minute and you want to suspend belief and just get lost in like, oh, this guy's going to win or lose. And oh my God, this storyline's going to play out, et cetera. That's the beauty of it. So Yes, there's there's a lot of layers to it in terms of how you present, how your delivery sounds. Um, I, I'm somebody who has really always been, and I said it before, I'm, I'm a very emotional and sentimental person. So I really like to take the time and you know, look at the macro of any story or person or championship or whatever, and then get into the micro of what's happening in the match, because there's so many things that play into it. And I'm fortunate I've got these great people around me just this past weekend had great conversations with Frankie Kazarian and Eddie Edwards in terms of their careers, what they're driving towards, et cetera. And there's things that maybe you realize in the moment, but like when you take the chance to step back and you're not so, you know, uh, the the horse blinders, so to speak, you can just see the world in a totally different way. Um, But yeah, all, all that is to say that, you know, if you're, you know, Cole told me, it was like, again, if you're able to have energy, enthusiasm, and passion, you're thoroughly prepared and you're, you're prepared to listen more than anything. You're going to have a lot of success in this business. And, and listen, I, I'm someone who you and I talked about this before we started recording. I have never worked an independent show. So people can hold that against me. That's fine. Um, I, I was fortunate I got into WWE when I did. I got into Impact Wrestling. So I've been able to perform at a very high level in pro wrestling. To work your way up through the indies, I don't have any uh, perspective on, unfortunately. It's extremely difficult. But I can say that working at the television level is also extremely difficult. So if you want to work at this level in front of or behind the camera, adaptability is key. Again, be ready to listen and be ready for stuff that, like I said before, like you're just not going to be prepared for certain things and you just got to be versatile and ready to tackle anything they throw at you. Don't shy away from challenges. I think that's the biggest thing I can say. Well, thank you for that, Tom. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate your time that you've given us here today on the Manifest Wrestling Podcast. If you want more, Tom, and I know you do, because that was awesome. 
you can check him out. He's the voice of Impact Wrestling, and he's also the voice of State on State, a Penn State football show on the Believe Network, just like this one is. All right, you guys can catch Manifest Wrestling. You already know, minimum twice a week. Tom, thank you so much, sir. I really do appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, Bound for Glory, right around the corner, October 21st, live in Chicago. I'm jacked up. Uh, hopefully, we'll see a lot of you there. Hopefully, the rest of you are tuning in. Appreciate you guys. Absolutely. Thanks, Tom.